rock of ages clap for me let me hide myself in thee let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure save from wrath and make me pure not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands these for sin could not atone thou must save and thou alone in my hand no price I bring simply to thy cross I cling while I draw this fleeting breath when my eyes shall close in death when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in We know that you are our only hope, our only fortress, our only goodness, our only life. Lord, we thank you that you are so generous and gracious and present with us. Lord, we thank you for your presence here with us tonight. God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Convict us, encourage us, guide us towards your truth, towards your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Open your Bible, please, to Habakkuk. We're going to begin a four-week study, if uh, the Lord permits, of the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk was a man that was living in troubled times. He was a man who was living in the face of impending judgment, and he has some questions for God. And so we're going to be looking at Habakkuk's questions and God's answers for the next four weeks. And so Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11 is going to be our text for tonight. Now, if you're wondering where Habakkuk is, it is in your Bible. It is in the Minor Prophets. If you find Nahum on one side, you'll find Zephaniah on the other side. And uh, Habakkuk is placed there because Nahum and Zephaniah are his contemporaries. And so he is uh, ministering about the same time, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. But Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, says the word of the Lord. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, says the Lord, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. 
For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar, and they fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose only might is their God. Let's pray together. Whose own might is their God. Lord, save us from being people whose strength is our God, from being people who are impressed with ourselves and arrogant. Help us to be people who bow before you, understanding that though we do not always understand your ways, we do trust your goodness. So we pray that you will help us tonight to see in your word the things that, first of all, glorify your name, uh, the things that uh, make you big in our sight and uh, great in our opinion and in our thoughts about you. And we pray that you'll help us to be encouraged tonight by the fact that we're in the hands of a sovereign God whose plan is always good and perfect. Though sometimes we wonder exactly what you're up to. So help us to hear your voice tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there used to be a program on TV called Mythbusters. I don't know if you're familiar with Mythbusters or not, but I used to like to watch Mythbusters. Maybe it's still on TV, maybe it's not, maybe it's gone. It's been a long time since I've had cable, so I don't have any idea. But Mythbusters, I mean, the the deal on Mythbusters, what they did was, they would take commonly believed things, and then they would put them to scientific tests to see whether or not they actually were true. And most of the time, it wasn't anything that amounted to anything, you know? It was stuff like, if you take a piece of meat and submerge it in Coca-Cola, will Coca-Cola eat it up completely? Or, uh, you know, if you get salt out and you sprinkle it on a slug, how fast will the slug dissolve? I mean, it was this kind of stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't great science that they were doing. It was just, the, the idea was they would take stuff that people, proverbial things, and test it to see whether or not it was true. And they say, we're mythbusters. We're the ones who, who, who find these things that are just myths and bust them. Well, Warren Wiersbe tells us that there's a commonly held myth among some Christians that needs to be busted. Wiersbe says that this myth is the myth that says that because you're a Christian, you ought never to go through anything that's difficult. There ought not to be any challenging things in your lives and that you're only walking faithfully if everything is just peachy keen in your life. Have you ever met one of these kinds of people? We meet them, don't we? We say, how are things going? And they say, oh, fine, I'm just fine. Everything's fine. Everything's just fine, fine, fine. And you know that their life is on fire, but everything is fine. What are they doing? They're pretending like everything is okay. Wiersbe says, the Christian myth is, the Christian myth is, that if there are difficulties in our lives, something must be wrong. We must have done something wrong. And sometimes that's true. Or or we're just not what we ought to be. Wiersbe has some sage words for us about people like that. 
He says, Christians who claim to be without problems are either not telling the truth or not growing and experiencing real life. Perhaps they're just not thinking at all, says Wiersbe. They're living in a religious dream world that has blocked out reality and stifled honest feelings. Like Job's uncomfortable comforters, they mistake shallow optimism for the peace of God, and they mistake the good life for the blessing of God. Wiersbe notes, you never hear them ask what David and Jesus ask when they said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, trouble is part of the Christian life. There are going to be moments, there are going to be difficult moments that we live through that are part of God's plan for us. Now, Malachi was not a man who was suffering from this problem. Malachi knew he was in trouble and he wasn't happy about it. And if you had said to Malachi, how are things going? He would say, not very well at all. And you would say, well, Malachi, and Malachi, where did I get to Malachi? I'm in Habakkuk. Well, there you go. There's your first one for the night. It's Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says, you say, well, Habakkuk, how are things going? Not not going well at all. Well, what's the matter, Habakkuk? Habakkuk says, you don't understand. I have been wearing my carpet out. Every morning I am on my knees. And I have been doing this day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And I'm asking God for a specific thing, and God is just blowing me off. He's not answering at all. You say, well, Habakkuk, what in the world is this burden that you've got? What is it that's so heavy on your heart that you're praying like this? What is God ignoring? Habakkuk says it's a tremendous thing. I'm asking him for repentance for my nation, and I'm asking him for for a, a renewal, for a bringing back of the nation I love, the land I love. Now remember that Habakkuk's land wasn't just any nation, that Habakkuk is a prophet of the Lord, and the people of God are a special case, aren't they? The nation of Judah, which Habakkuk was a prophet to, was, uh, are God's people. These are God's covenant people. And so when Habakkuk is praying for his nation, he's praying for his church at the same time. Because in those days, it was all the same. Religion and and the nation of Judah were exactly the same thing. And so to put this properly in our context, uh, we can think of this in a national sense if we care to do that, but it's really best thought of in the sense of what's going on in the church. And if we wanted to express this in 21st century uh, language, we would say, Habakkuk, what have you been doing? He said, I've been on my knees praying for the church. He says, the church needs repentance. And the church needs purification. And the church needs, can we use an R word? Revival. He says, I have been wearing out holes in my carpet on my knees day after day after day, praying for revival in my church. And God seems to be paying no attention at all. And so Habakkuk is going to talk in these chapters that we have before us, these three chapters of this book. He's going to have it out with God, if you want to put it that way. He's going to talk frankly to the Father, and the Father's going to talk frankly to him. And Habakkuk's going to come with some questions, and God's going to give him some unexpected and, frankly, unwelcome answers. The proposition, the big idea that we're dealing with tonight, is simply this, 
that God uses severe mercies to purify his deeply erring people. The job of the faithful is to trust his goodness when we can't understand his ways. This is what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be talking in this, our studies in this book about the fact that God uses the difficult moments in our lives, that he uses the hard times that we go through in very specific ways, not because he hates us or is angry at us specifically, but because he desires us to be purified. And this is what we're going to be seeing in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to begin tonight in uh, these 11 verses that we've read. And really, our study tonight is going to move through three different uh, uh, thoughts. We're going to center it around three different headings tonight. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at Habakkuk's complaint. And then in verse 5, we're going to look at God's very frank answer that he gives his prophet. And finally, in verses 6 through 11, we're going to see that God had a shocking plan of action that was so shocking that uh, Habakkuk is going to react against it, and we'll be looking at that uh, next week. But for tonight, we want to see Habakkuk's complaint, God's answer, and God's plan. And so in verses 1 through 4, we see Habakkuk's complaint. We find the prophet crying out to the Lord. He goes to the Lord on his knees, sweet hour of prayer. We couldn't have sung a better thing before this message, could we? Because Habakkuk was a man who knew the value of prayer. He knew that he was invited into God's presence, and he knew that he had the ear of the Almighty. And Habakkuk was going into, in these verses, Habakkuk is going into the very presence of God. And he's actually making a complaint. He's saying, now I've got, I've got something I want to talk to you about. He's saying, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you won't hear? He says, I've been crying out to help. I've been on my knees. I have done everything I know how to do. I've been making an urgent plea to you. And it just seems as if the heavens are brass and you aren't even paying any attention to what I have to say. Have you ever felt like that with God? Do you ever feel like that with God? Where you go to God and you, there's something that's a burden to your heart and you cry out to him and it just seems like nothing much is going on and it seems like he's not even paying attention. Well, you're in good company because Habakkuk, one of the prophets of the Lord, is in this very place. He says, Lord, I've been crying out to you for help, and you're not listening. You're not even hearing me. And he says, I am crying out to you about violence that I am seeing all around me in my society. Habakkuk was a man that was living in a very challenging time in the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah was literally literally standing in the shadow of judgment that was about to fall. What do we know about Habakkuk? We know almost nothing about Habakkuk except that his name means embrace or wrestle. And in this book, we're going to watch this man wrestle with God's ways. And at the end, we're going to see him embrace God's goodness, even though God is going to give him the news that a harsh judgment is coming on the people that he's been praying for. And Habakkuk, is, is what we know about him is, from the context, we know that he's living about the same time as Jeremiah, as Nahum, and Zephaniah, and that these men are ministering to a rebellious, hard-hearted people who do not want to hear the word of the Lord, do not want to hear what God has to say, and are shutting out the calls for repentance and revival that these men were faithfully bringing to their generation. 
And so the Babylonians are on the scene. It won't be long before they're there, as we'll see when we get farther down into our text. But Habakkuk is looking around and he says, the thing that's bothering me is not the Babylonians. The thing that's bothering me is the people I'm living with. He says, there's violence in this society. There's injustice in the society. People are treating each other unjustly. People are taking advantage of the poor. People are, are doing things that are divisive. Worship in our society, Lord, has turned into a formalism. And worse than that, they mixed paganism in with it. And so he says, what's going on in the temple is a disaster. What's going on in the markets is a disaster. People cheating one another. What's going on in the homes is a disaster. Nobody being faithful to their own families, to their own spouses. And what's going on in the government is an absolute disaster. We're under wretched leadership. The kings at this time were the kings that would be uh, in place just before Zedekiah, just before the Babylonians come. And so Habakkuk is saying to the Lord, don't you see that we're surrounded by violence? Don't you care that we're surrounded by violence? He says, why do you make me see iniquity? Why aren't you saving? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly, do you idly look at wrong? He says, God, you're watching this happen. It isn't that you're unaware of it, Lord. I know you're aware of it because you know all things. So why aren't you doing anything about it? Why aren't you moving your hand? Why aren't you busy about this, Lord? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And he says, Lord, you're the one who defines what's right. You're the one who tells us what's right and what's wrong. Morality comes from you. You, Lord, are the one who gave us the Ten Commandments, the statement of your moral law. You're the one who's given us our ritual law so that we know how to worship you and it's being violated. You're the one, Lord, who's given us civil law that's being violated. He says, you're the one who defines these things. Lord, it's killing me. Why isn't it killing you? And this is his question. And he wants to know what God is up to. And he says, Lord, I understand that you've given government, human government, has the responsibility of suppressing evil. And look at what he says in verse 4. He says, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. He said, even government's not working. He says, not just that the people have departed from your moral law. It's not just that the people who are supposed to be in charge of the temple have mixed in pagan worship with your worship. He said, but even government has departed from doing good and suppressing evil. He says, the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He says, God, I've got a question for you. And if I can use the words of Abraham in Genesis 18.25, I think this is Habakkuk's question. He looks at God and he says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? He says, you're the one who's established what, what is right and wrong. You're the judge of all the earth. You're the one who holds us accountable. Why are you not answering? Why aren't you doing something? Lord, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Won't you do what's right, Lord? Since you're the one who is righteousness and is rightness. Can't I even count on you? You can hear the despair in Habakkuk's voice, can't you? Lord, can't I even count on you? Are you going to fix this? Lord, are you going to hear my prayer? Habakkuk goes 
to God with a fairly audacious question, doesn't he? It's almost as if he's questioning God's goodness. Have we heard this before in our Bibles? We've heard this before in our Bibles, haven't we? Have you read the book of Job? Did you ever read the book of Job? Job had some pretty audacious questions for the Lord too. And Job didn't get any answers. So maybe when you ask audacious questions of the Lord, the Lord just folds his arm and said, well, you just work it out yourself. Do you think that's what he's going to do? It's not what he's going to do. Actually, the Lord's going to give Habakkuk an answer. Habakkuk has, got, has been very frank with God, and God is going to reply, reply frankly to him. Now, let me be frank with you, and let's be frank with each other for a moment. Don't you feel some of Habakkuk's frustration right about now? We're living in an absolute mess. Uh, there's, no, there's no escaping this. We're living in an absolute mess, are we not? Can I, can I even get an amen on that? I mean, listen, we are living in an absolute mess. And don't, are you wearing your carpet out asking God to do something? Maybe, maybe like Habakkuk, you've got your knees on the floor. <laughs> that reminds me of Tozer again. Somebody asked Tozer, how do you prepare a message? He said, two knees diligently applied to the floor. See, when you want a message, that's the way you get a message. Two knees diligently applied to the floor. Have you been diligently applying your knees to the floor about what's going on in the world around us? Shame on you if you're not. Because the only answer is going to come from above. And uh, we can put our faith in this or we can put our faith in that. We can pretend like we've got a solution to it. But we don't have a solution to it other than God stepping in and doing something to bring repentance and revival. That's the solution. And Habakkuk has just has come to that place, and maybe you and I have too. Have you been earnestly praying for repentance and revival for God's people? Have you been begun to wonder why the one who established righteousness doesn't seem to be doing anything about the obvious unrighteousness that's going on around us today? Well, good news, Habakkuk is for you, because this is a fellow who had exactly the same problem. You know, anybody who genuinely trusts God and wonders what God is up to and why he seems so tardy to send revival will share Habakkuk's sense of confusion and frustration. If you really care, do you really care? If you really care, you will share this sense of confusion and frustration right about now. You ought to be. We ought to be. We ought to be, we ought to be people who are burdened for what's going on around us. You know, only those who truly believe in God's sovereignty and goodness will be perplexed, genuinely perplexed, at his slowness to answer our prayers for the correction of his people. So what are we to do? When God isn't behaving as we expect, how do we handle it? Should we just keep quiet? Maybe we just stuff our feelings and our frustrations. Or maybe we pretend that we're okay and that the stat, with the status quo, while we're really just dying a little bit every day on the inside. Is that what we should be doing? No, that's not what we should be doing. That's not the biblical answer. The biblical answer is to do what Habakkuk did, which is to take our complaints in all of it, their snarkiness and petulance and frustration and wondering right into the presence of God. God loves it when his people are honest with him. We never have to pretend before God. When we're unhappy and confused and frustrated, we can pour it out. 
we can pour it out to a father who welcomes us to come, just as he welcomed Habakkuk. He's not offended by that. He's not offended by our frankness with him. He wants us to come. You know, it's only the people who trust him who will even do that. Pour it out to him. He welcomes it. And sometimes he'll give you a frank answer. Like he does in verse 5. He gives Habakkuk a frank answer. He says, let me give you an answer to your question. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. He said, now listen. He says, you're, you're mistaken, Habakkuk. He's, you think I'm not paying attention. You think I'm not answering your prayer. You think that your prayers are falling on deaf ears. I'm answering your prayer every day. The problem is not my answering, it's your listening. He says, Habakkuk, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to look at what's going on in the nations around you. I want you to see. There's a difference between looking and seeing, you know. There's a difference between looking and seeing. You can look with your eyes, but you have to see with insight and with your heart. And God says to his prophet, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look with your eyes and I want you to see with insight that I'll give you that will come from me. I want you to understand what's going on. I want you to look at the world scene that's going on around you. Get your eyes off of what's going on out here and look a little farther out to see what I'm doing among the nations. Because he said, I'm at work among the nations to answer your prayer for your people. I'm at work among the nations to answer your work for your people. He says, I not only want you to look and I want you to see, I want you to wonder and to be astounded. When, when the answer comes to you, what I'm doing, it's going to shock you. It's going to astound you. I want you to be shocked by the audacity of my answer that's coming to your prayer. He said, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told it to you. He said, if I, if, I just, if I just told it to you, you'd shake your head and say, no, that can't be right. That can't be a word from the Lord. That's got to just be bad pizza. You know, that's just got to be something that's going on inside my psychological makeup, you know, or something that's messed up in my system. It couldn't surely be what God just told me he was going to do. God says, open your eyes. Look at what I'm doing. It have insight, and when you see what I'm doing, it's going to shock you. It's going to astound you. You're going to wonder at my ways and what I'm doing. See, God's frank answer is that I'm sovereign, and I'm sovereign not only over your nation, but I'm sovereign over all the other nations on planet Earth. And I've got a plan, and my plan is for the good of your nation. My plan is always for the good of your nation. Now, dear one, do not... Do not make the common mistake of trying to read the United States of America into Habakkuk's nation. He isn't talking about that. Don't become British Israelitis. You know what that is? Back in the late 19th century, there were many people in Britain who saw Britain as the successor to Israel. And there are many people that I've grown up around in our nation who've done exactly the same thing. They've seen the United States of America as the successor to Israel, the people of God. If that's the way you understand this, you do not understand your Bible. 
God isn't saying that. God's talking about his people. He's talking about the people that belong to him. He's talking about his church. That's who he's talking about. And God says, I'm at work for my people in this world. And all of the nations of this world serve that purpose. And I'm going to use all of the nations of this world for the good of my people. That's what God's into on planet Earth. Aren't you glad? I'm glad that that's what God's into on planet Earth. What a, what a poverty-stricken what a poverty-stricken imagination if we think that God's only interest is in making an earthly nation great again. If we don't see beyond that, if we do not see that God's interest isn't in making nations of planet Earth great, it's in making His people pure and holy. If we don't see that that's what God's desire is, then I don't know what Bible we're reading, quite frankly. I don't know what Bible we're reading if we can't see this. This is what God is up to. The whole story of of God on planet Earth is the story of redemption. It's the story of salvation. It's the story of taking people who don't deserve anything and giving us everything. That's what God's up about. That's what he's on to. That's what his plan is. And this is what what God is saying. He says, now I'm going to shock you. The point here is that God is never offended by an honest question of those who trust him, but he insists that we really do trust him if we're going to ask him honest questions. You know, not everybody gets an answer to their questions from God. Remember King Saul? King Saul, we're told in 1 Samuel 28, 4 through 6, about the Philistines assembling and they came and encamped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when he inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophet. Saul was God's anointed king over his people. Why wouldn't God answer Saul? Saul is pleading for help. Well, we've read the story, haven't we? We know why God isn't answering Saul. He isn't answering Saul because Saul didn't have an honest heart toward God. You see, when you've got an honest heart toward God, you can ask him anything. When you've got an honest heart toward God and you really want to know the answer, you can ask God anything. Now, he may choose to give you an answer or he may not choose to give you an answer. Remember Job. Job never got the answer to his question. He got a greater vision of God. And that's what we get when we go through hard times, isn't it? We get a greater vision of God and who he is. But, but there's one thing that we can say for sure. You may get an answer, you may not get an answer, but the person who's never going to get an answer is the one who does not have an honest heart toward God, who isn't sincere. You see, if you only love God for his gifts, but not for who he is, you're not sincere. A lot of people, a lot of people in our day, they want the gifts of God, but they don't want God. They want the gifts of God, but they don't want God. And those kind of people never get an answer to their questions. God doesn't have anything he can say to people like that. In order for us to get answers to our questions, we've got to have an honest heart. Habakkuk has an honest heart toward God. And so God wants to answer his question. And he said, now I'm going to give you the answer to your question. And we go to our third movement, which is God's shocking plan of action in verses 6 through 11. God says, now let me articulate for you 
what I've invited you to look around and see. So we'll find out, Habakkuk, whether or not you've got an honest heart and whether or not you're going to listen to what I have to say. He says, Behold, I'm raising up the, the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march from the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And at this moment, there's a time for us to imagine Habakkuk's jaw dropping wide open. Because this is not the answer that Habakkuk expects to hear from God. The answer Habakkuk is expecting and hoping to hear from God is, Habakkuk, you're right. And so it's coming, buddy. It's right around the corner. I'm going to have a massive time of repentance and revival among your people. That's the answer that Habakkuk is hoping God will give him. And God says, it's not my plan. Dude, that's not what I'm doing on planet Earth. I am going to purify your people, but here's what I'm going to do. Right now, I am answering your prayer, and I'm answering your prayer by raising up basically the Nazis, if you want to put it that way. The Babylonians were the ancient equivalent of of Hitler and his Nazis. These are vicious people. These are people that that are completely pagan. Listen to the description of what, uh, what God tells him. He says, These people uh, march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. He said, These people are just world beaters. They just, they're knocking everybody down. He said, They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go, before, go forth from themselves. He said, These are arrogant people who set their own standards of justice. These are arrogant people who insist on their own dignity. These are not attractive people. You know the sign of true evil? This, I'm going to throw this in. You, you want me to throw this in? Do you know what the sign of true evil is? You know how you know when somebody's really caught in evil? They can't laugh at themselves. You can't take a joke at their own expense. Truly evil people will always be offended at anything that puts them in a bad light. That's how you know you're dealing with somebody who's really in the grip of Satan. When you can't, t- Adolf Hitler couldn't take a joke on himself. You make a joke at Adolf Hitler's expense, that'd very likely be your last day on planet Earth. That's how you know what evil looks like. When somebody can't take a joke at themselves, then you're in the presence of somebody who's truly in the grip of Satan. And that's who these people are. No jokes. You don't, you don't joke about Nebuchadnezzar. You don't, you don't make fun of the Babylonians. Then he says, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. What he's telling us here is God saying, I have given them strength. I have given them this strength for my purposes. Now, let's not be children in these matters, right? God is the sovereign God. It is not the case that some things just happen on planet Earth and that God is sovereign over other things. If you think that's what's going on, you have misunderstood your Bible. That is not the way things work on planet Earth. Every nation that arises is brought to power by God for His purposes, even the ones who are evil. And God has a good purpose for doing that. But let's be clear about this. When nations grow in strength, it isn't because of the people. It's because of God's purpose on planet Earth. 
That's what God is up to. And God says, I've given these people this strength. And then look at verse 9. He says, they all come for violence and all their faces are forward. They gather captives like the sand. He said, they're world beaters. He said, doesn't matter whether it's a big empire or a small empire, I've given all of it over into their hands and they're going to be world beaters for as long as I need them for my purposes. And the moment I don't need them any longer for my purposes, I'm going to take them down because the nations of planet earth are disposable. The nations of planet earth are disposable. They are for God's convenience and for his purposes alone. And then look what it says in verse 10. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress and they pile up earth to take it. They, they don't pay any attention to other authorities. They are their own authority. Verse 11. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. He said these are ungodly people. The last word he says about them. He says, these are ungodly people. Don't think that these people are somehow godly people. Oh, no. These are people who've been raised up for God's glory and God's purpose for him to use them in the world. And about this time, Habakkuk must be just ready to collapse onto the floor. And next week, we'll see what he says back to God after he gets this piece of information. But that's for next week, you know. What are we going to make of this? The doctrinal point here is that God's means of purifying his people can be shockingly severe, but are always intended for purification beyond mere punishment. Now, listen. God will use harsh methods. God will use harsh means to purify his people. When we get ourselves into trouble, when we get hard in our heart, when we're not listening anymore, when we think we are the people and the wisdom will die with us, then God will use whatever method, whatever medicine he needs to be able to purify his people and bring us back to the place where he wants us to be, which is a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. We always know we're in trouble when we're, when we, when we're talking about something other than Jesus. Whatever's occupying our mind, the majority of our day is what our real God is. And when our real God is anything other than Jesus, we are in trouble. And so right now, we're seeing an example of this, aren't we? We're going through an awful pandemic. And the pandemic is necessitating the use of some really unpleasant techniques to keep people alive. Uh, Seriously ill ill people, uh, they get to a point with this disease where the way that you can keep them alive, hope to keep them alive, is to to, uh, intubate them, which is to put a ventilator uh, down their throats. It's very unpleasant. Uh, I, was with, um, I was with Donna Rittenauer last year when she was on a, a ventilator for several days and spent uh, several hours with her. And I got to tell you something, that I never want to go through that. I don't ever want to have to go through that. But in order to keep the patient alive, that can become the only way to do it. And it's very unpleasant. And yet, if you can keep people alive long enough with a ventilator, the natural defenses of our body can defeat this disease. Uh, My son is a critical care pulmonologist, and this is what he's doing. He is doing this every day. He has 65, he, he is the medical director of a hospital that only treats COVID patients. That's what he does. And he's putting these things down people's throats every day. 
And he says it's so difficult to explain to the other members of his practice what they're trying to do. Because he said, usually what we do is, he said, we usually are working with people who are very near end of life. And if we cannot do something for them, and, it, and if the ventilator doesn't work after a little while, we say to the family, the case is hopeless and you might as well take them off. But he said, it's different this time. He said, in the hospital we're working in, the patients that we're dealing with are not elderly people who've got terminal diseases like lung cancer. They're younger people who've got COVID. And he says, it's so hard for me to explain to my colleagues why we keep people on these ventilators for five or six weeks at a time. But we do that because it, they're just too young to let go. And they've got a better success rate of, of, uh, of uh, having people recover than many of the uh, teaching hospitals around them because they're, they're innovative in the, in the techniques that they're using. But this is one of the main techniques they have to use, and it's very, very difficult. It's very, very unpleasant. And yet, it's what saves the patient's life. And this is what God says. He says, listen, I'm going to use unpleasant means to save the life of the patient. When God's people get so hard in heart that we can't really hear his voice anymore, that we don't want to hear him anymore, that we just want to go our own way and, let him, and tell him to leave us alone, when God's people get to that point, God will not let the patient die. He will use difficult means in order to purify his people and to bring us back to the place where we are worshiping him wholeheartedly and fully worshiping him alone. Any who doubt God's sovereignty over evil need to hear that he raises up harsh instruments as means of producing severe mercies for the purification of his people. God's severities punish the wicked, but they purify the righteous. This is tough medicine for soft Christians to swallow in our day. The measures that God uses to purify his people are in proportion to the hardness of his people's hearts. Sometimes strong medicine is the only medicine that will save the patient. God loves his people so much that he will not hesitate to use the harshest of measures to save our lives. Are we willing to accept the fact that we may be living in a time of God's severe mercy toward his people and that what he's up to may not be the time of restored blessing that we have in mind, at least not immediately? Do we trust God, the great physician, to know what's best and what's in the best interest of his people? Mythbusters. God's in the business of busting myths and replacing lies with his truth. Sometimes we're so involved in our world as Habakkuk seems to have been that we can't understand what God's doing. But just wait. Hold on. We're going to take a trip through this book. We're going to have another three more lessons from this insightful book where God gives answers to people that are potentially on the brink of judgment. Now, as a parting gift to us tonight, let's let one of our commentators, Warren Wiersbe, give us a word to think about as we go. Wiersbe says, God gave Habakkuk a revelation, not an explanation. For what we always need in times of doubt is a new view of God. And that's what 
God is going to give to Habakkuk and to us through these lessons. Wiersbe notes that the Lord doesn't owe us any explanations, but He does graciously reveal Himself and His work to those who seek Him. So let's make up our minds that we're going to be among those who seek a fresh vision of God as we journey through the book of Habakkuk in the next three weeks. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. We thank you for the fact that your word deals with us dead honestly, frankly. You don't pull punches. Lies don't help anybody. Half-truths are lies, and they don't help anybody. We need to hear what you're saying to us. We need to hear it straight. So help us, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.